0: Well, one of our favorite people is with us live via telephone, somebody who legitimately is among the few people who can uh, take credit for my career, and it's always a pleasure to welcome him. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gurak is the Libby M. Clapperman Professor of Jewish History at Yeshiva University. Uh, he has um, authored a brand-new book, The Holocaust Averted, An Alternate History of American Jury, 1938 to 1967. And uh, the book is available. It's Rutgers University Press. And, uh, Dr. Gorak, you know I mean it when I say it's a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM.
1: Well, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, whatever credit I get for working with you when you were my student at Benadryville Graduate School many years ago, uh, you've done outstanding work, and uh, I'm very proud of the job you've done. So it's nice to be on your show, and it's nice to talk about... Uh, my newest book.
0: Oh, I greatly appreciate that. Well,
1: is this how it works?
0: First, you become a, a student of history, then an expert in history, then an, al- an anal- analyst of history, then an author of history, and then you start creating alternate histories. Is that the progression of how it goes?
1: Well, it turns out <laughs> that what's known as counterfactual history has been in existence for really almost 50 years. There was a book written in the 60s called If the South Had Won the Civil War. Right which posits what America would be like, in fact, the world would be like had the South prevailed in the the Civil War. And when I started working on this book, which looks at what American Jewish life would have been like, and really world Jewish life would have been like had there been no Shoah, I thought I was the only one out there doing that sort of work. Well, it turns out that there are a number of Jewish historians who are doing all sorts of work in this particular field. In fact, one scholar is working on the question of what Sephardic Jury would be like had the expulsion from Spain not taken place and we go on and on and on but uh... frankly it is a work of fiction that is predicated upon real historical sources and it's also in my opinion an important teaching device because when you look at very significant turning points in history and what didn't happen it gives you a perspective on what did happen And one of the things that I do in the book, besides sketching out alternate scenarios for the time period of 1938 to 1967, 1938 begins with, in my story, the British and French standing up to Hitler in Munich. And 1967, of course, is the Six-Day War, which happens in a very, very different way, with a very, very different president of the United States, not Lyndon Johnson, but Joseph P. Kennedy, Jr., Because America does not get involved in World War II and Joe Kennedy Jr. does not get shot down during the war. In any event, every chapter ends with a synopsis of what really happened. So people can compare what I wrote to what really happened, and I think this could be a very good teaching device because at the end of the day, you were kind enough to say that I was an analyst of history and a teacher, but more importantly, I'm a teacher of history. I'd like to see this book be used not only as an entertaining book, but also as a book that people could uh, learn a lot about the real history.
0: Dr. Jeffrey Gorak is with us. The book is called The Holocaust Averted. Is Is it a more fun project because of the imagination and maybe some would say exaggeration of certain circumstances? Is it more fun than just writing a history book?
1: Well, it was a lot of fun because I had to dream up certain scenarios, but it was also very challenging. I'm sure you were raised this way, and the way I was raised, my parents always told me, always tell the truth. Right. Because if you tell the truth, you'll tell the same story 50 different times. In fact, <laughs> my children often charge and they say, Pop, you have five stories you tell everybody, okay? But it's always the same. But in this book, I'm not telling the truth. I'm making up scenarios. So what I did in doing the book is I made big charts to remind me of what Neville Chamberlain said in 1937, which what he doesn't say in 1937 or 38, and what really happened. So I have these charts. I had to invent different presidents of the United States. For example, since America does not get drawn into the new great war, not World War II, Franklin Delano Roosevelt does not run for a third term. Right. So I had to create a different president for uh, for the United States, and the list of scenarios goes on and on. But Frankly, um, beyond the fictional piece here, there are certain truths about American Jewish life that I want to explicate through alternate history. Maybe we can talk about that for a moment.
0: Yeah, and no, we'll get to that, because I assume you're alluding toward the uh, American attitude toward Zionism and other things. But before that, I, I have to imagine that for me and, the, and for most of this audience listening, the biggest curiosity, and again, you may have given it away already because you mentioned the Six-Day War, uh, was there, according to Dr. Gorak's account, a fictional account as we emphasize, was there a creation of the State of Israel?
1: Yes, Israel comes into existence in a very, very different way than we have in the story. And one of the pieces that I cannot use is the fact that the world reaction to the murder of six million Jews could not be in play here. But without giving away the entire book, because I want people to read the book, I want people to buy the book, obviously, okay, (laughs) is that... uh, after the war that the British get involved in for many years, as late as 1946, they're still embroiled in overseas struggles in the Far East. At that point, both Jewish nationalists and Arabs try to push the British out of, out of Palestine, and you have the conflict which leads to a 1948 uh, endeavor. Right. But um, the situation is very different in the United States. I think Nahum... Probably the most exciting piece of my book is the bombing of the King David Hotel, which, of course, took place. Mm -hmm. But I tell it in a very, very different way. So imagine this. The Irgun bombs the King David Hotel. This is my story, not real history. And not only are British officers killed, but American peacekeepers who find their way into the Middle East are killed. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the American government and the American people turned very strongly against the Zionists. There's a little-known senator named Harry S. Truman from Missouri who is quoted as saying, if the Jewish people were facing an existential crisis, I could support, and he uses the word terrorists, but I can't support the Zionists. The Daily Mirror, a tabloid in New York City, runs a headline that says, Palestinian Jews attack America. Hmm. So the question I raise in the book is, what do American Jews do when the American people turn dramatically against the Zionist Because, oh, by the way, at that point, David Ben-Gurion starts talking seriously to Joseph Stalin about the communists helping Israel come into existence. So it's a complicated story. You know, it's, but, but it's
0: not far-fetched, because you know, and, and some people who, you know, uh, who who rely on the Shoah, so to speak, historically for the eventual establishment of the state of Israel. If you think about it, the British attitude at that time, after all those decades of you know the British mandate, uh, the British attitude was was uh, seemed to be you know at times to just throw their hands up and become very frustrated with what was going on in the Middle East. Them leading uh other countries to demand a partition plan under those circumstances is not so far fetched.
1: And when an American president—I won't reveal his name at this point—but the, when the American president says to the American people, "We have fifty million Arabs sitting on billions of gallons of oil," right. and we have these Jews in Palestine who are anti-American or anti-America, after all, they have bombed—they have bombed the King David Hotel. Right. What do what do American Jews do? Right. Do very complicated, so, and as you can well imagine, as you well imagine, there's a great dispute within the American Jewish community as to whether or not American Jews would continue to support Palestine, obviously Israel, or whether they would hunker down and be very concerned with the canard of dual loyalty, which I have to tell you, in real history, I keep bouncing back from authentic history to real history, in real history, American Jews have never faced an explicit, explicit American president who is anti-Zionist. And I use the word explicit advisedly and for a particular purpose. In this story, we have to deal with an America that turns against, uh, uh, against Palestine, against Israel. And this, by the way, in my story, creates a significant rift between American Jews and Palestinian Jews uh... after nineteen forty
0: you know it's funny because a lot of people sit and think that we've had this challenge for sixty six years you'd argue it's been a challenge but not an explicit one
1: well in terms of american presidents in israel probably the low point in american jewish and israel relations and american relations is nineteen fifty six during the suez crisis when uh... when eisenhower and john foster Dulles basically basically forced the British, the French, and the Israelis to withdraw from Suez. Uh, that's a very low point. Uh, but, but at that point, the United States Congress and the American people overwhelmingly support the state of Israel. So That's a low point in our history. Right. But uh, for the most part, we've dealt with a situation where uh, America and American Jewry are in lockstep in support of, uh, of uh, Israel. Now, the truth is there are moments in time where the relationship has been frayed. I think we're living through one of those times right now quite significantly. But the idea that there's an explicit statement that we're going to support the Arabs over the Jews is something we have to contemplate in terms of what would American Jews do. And there's one other point I should mention.
0: And ironically, we should add that, again, we see great congressional support at this time for Israel.
1: That's correct. That's correct. And one of the things we can say about uh, American Jewish activism after World War II Has to do with the fact that when Jews, for example, our very heroic and successful campaign on behalf of Soviet Jewry in the 60s and 70s, okay, that campaign. Was predicated upon our desire to help our brethren in the Soviet Union, but we also had in the back of our mind
0: mm, World War II. That
1: America was always on our side.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say that we always had in the back of our minds that we were not there to help during the show on, therefore oh, we have that's to that's true, too. Right. But
1: in terms of American support, right. there was no one in the United States Congress or the presidency who said there's something wrong with supporting an attack against the Soviet Union. Right. A, uh, political attack or a humanitarian uh, uh, agenda that was that was pushed by American Jews.
0: All right. Oh, boy. Unbelievable. Dr. Jeffrey Gorach with us, Libby Clapperman, professor of Jewish history at Yeshiva University. The book is called The Holocaust Averted, An Alternate History of American Jury, 1938 to 1967. How are these... I have no idea what the answer to this is, so don't, please don't be insulted. But how, how are these alternate history books re, um, uh, looked at in the world of academia? Uh, are there those who, uh, you know, who, 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 uh, who, who resent the fact that someone would go ahead and write a book that actually changes history or suggests a fictitious aspect of history?
1: Well, I was very concerned about that. As I said at the outset, I became aware of the fact that I wasn't the only person out there in the field Who's doing that sort of thing? So there, are, there are people who are actually doing other aspects of Jewish history and world history based upon these alternate scenarios. So uh, there are critics, but I must say there's a certain methodology to this that has to be understood. And for example. I can't have Wendell Wilkie run for president in 1944 because he <laughs> dies in 1943. Okay. So those who wait a second, I thought I thought Wilkie could run whatever he wants. Well, <laughs> if, he, if he ran in 44 and was elected, you'd have a scoop, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, if you're writing about the Jews at Masada, you can't provide them with machine guns, okay? There are certain rules, rules to this game. But more and more, this thing has been accepted. And just as, as a personal story, uh, a year and a half ago, I went to my annual conference, the Association of Jewish Studies in Boston, and I was very reticent about talking about what I was working about, because people, you know, Garak, what are you working on now? And sure enough, there's a session... On alternate, alternate history. Wow! And I went up to the uh, the professor who was running the session. His name is Gabrielle Rosenfeld, who teaches at Fairfield University. I said, "You know, none of the people were talking about America." He said, "Are you interested in running about America?" I said, "Turns out, I'm almost finishing a book on that subject, so mm-hmm. I'm not out there alone."
0: Interesting. There are
1: people critical of what we do, but that's okay. Uh, I think this is a um, a device which will. Uh, educate in fact, one of the blurbs for the book was written by um, an editor from Vanity Fair who said This book will educate. Entertain and perhaps infuriate the audience. <laughs> that's great. So that's okay too. That's Doc, okay too.
0: Doctor Gorak, um, with this, uh, uh, with this, um, you know, alternate history, and and obviously the the Jews not suffering the way they did in the real World War II at mm-hmm. the hands of the Nazis. Do the German Jewish communities in your book survive? I mean, years later in the 1960s, are there still thriving Jewish communities in Eastern Europe?
1: So two interest, two interesting points about this. Okay, two of the probably the two greatest Jewish historians of the 20th century. Jacob Rader Marcus, as you know, as my student, was the founder of the study of American Jewish history. And Salo Barone, the greatest Jewish historian of the 20th century, who, by the way, when the Eichmann trial began, he was the first witness just to portray what what Jewish life was before the Shoah. Listen to this. In 1934, uh, Marcus wrote a book, in which he predicted that German Jewry would survive Hitler and that Nazism would pass. This is 1934. 1937, a few months before, a a year before Kristallnacht, Barone says the same thing. So in my proposal for the book, I quote these two eminent scholars, and I say, how wrong were they, but what if they were right? Right. So the reality about German Jewry is the following. In 1933... There are about a half million Jews in Germany. When World War II starts, about two-thirds of these Jews were successful in getting out. Mm-hmm. Some of them went to Palestine until the British closed down Palestine. Right. Many of them come to America, notwithstanding the immigration laws. And sadly, like my wife's family, some of them go to uh, Holland or Belgium and, or France, and then they get caught up in the Shoah when the invasion takes place in 1940. So in real history, the uh, most German Jews get out. In my story, almost all of them get out. And there is a story in the book in the early 1940s where Adolf Eichmann says to Heinrich Himmler, you know, that uh, it, it, if, we had our, if we had the possibility, we could eliminate these German Jews. However, most of them are gone. Most of them are gone, and most of them are free, and they've moved to Palestine because the British have changed their policies after they stand up to Hitler. What you're hearing here is a very complicated story, but each aspect of it illuminates a different aspect of what uh, the story was all about.
0: And when you think about it... Not, not to, not to suggest that any significant event in history is minor, but any small episode could have such an effect. I mean, we know people have made movies about, you know, Hitler being assassinated and things like that and the changes that would have happened in history if in fact, uh, you know, this would have happened or that would have happened. It is, it's it just amazing how little has to happen, uh, in order for, you know, something, a major historic dramatic change to occur.
1: There are significant turning points. That's one of the things that's emphasized in the book, where things turn. Um, I have to admit, I do not read Japanese. However, I became aware of the fact that there exists a Japanese historiography, which argues that Tojo, Hideki Tojo, right. almost gets outvoted in December 1941, huh. and that the, the Japanese almost bypass attacking Pearl Harbor and the Philippines. So I have in my book uh, American sailors sunning themselves on the deck of the USS Arizona on December seventh, nineteen forty-one. It's a very, a very, very different story. But each one of these turning points is is quite uh, significant, and it also points to the lack of inevitability of certain things that uh, ultimately uh, take place. Uh, the truth is that the Nazis in nineteen thirty-eight. We're not really ready for an all-out war in the European theater. In my story, they're pushed, or Hitler moves them in a, a year too early to start the war, and there are major implications that derive out there. And by the way, I have Hitler assassinated in 1944 in a very different scenario than you could Uh, You could imagine.
0: (laughs) Dr. Gorak is the Libby Clapperman Professor of Jewish History at Yeshiva University. The book is called The Holocaust Averted. I assume this is available everywhere at this point?
1: Yes, and in fact, this evening at 7 o'clock, there's going to be a book launch of this book. If you want to hear more about this, uh, at the Center for Jewish History. I'll be talking about the book. Uh, In fact, it's being broadcast on the Jewish Broadcasting Service, uh, a national hookup. And it's very exciting and people are invited to attend and to raise questions. And, you know, uh, it's very interesting. We've debated some of these issues, uh, uh across our Shabbos table at, with my family, with my grown children over the last year and a half. And, uh, they often say, uh, well, it, it could have been someplace, something different. And I say, okay, write your own book. So <laughs> I, I invite people to come. I invite people to criticize the book, but I invite people more importantly, to learn uh, about American Jewish history and world Jewish history through this very, very different approach to to writing history.
0: All right, so that's the uh, 7 o'clock tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Jewish Broadcasting Service, and it's happening at the Center for Jewish History. Everyone can go. And enjoy uh, Dr. Gurak's presentation and the Q and A. The Holocaust Averted is the name of the book. It's an alternate history of American jury, 1938 to 1967. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gurak and I got to. Uh, I'm sure you'll shep some nachas from this, Dr. Gurak, uh, on a regular basis. A couple of my kids attend Shabbos services at the Eldridge Street Synagogue. How do you like that?
1: That's wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm glad the synagogue has regular Shabbos services, and I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, the synagogue has been revived. In fact, if you go, one last quick story. Sure. Everybody says I'm a storyteller. <laughs> and this is a true story. If you go to the museum, Beit HaTfuzot, in Tel Aviv, right, they have a film strip about American Jewish life in the 1970s that's narrated by the late Sam Levinson, the old-time Jewish sure. Humorist. Right. And one of the scenes they have here is the end of the Elder Street Synagogue, and they show the synagogue in complete disrepair. And, uh, the congregation has come back, the museum has come back, and with the growth of the Lower East Side, uh, it has a real future, not an alternate history.
0: That's no question sure. about it.
1: Uh, always
0: a delight speaking with you. I hope we will do this again soon. Good luck with the book, and have a Chag kasher
1: vsameach. Same to you. Thank you so much, Nachum. Have a good day.
0: Dr. Jeffrey Gorak, the Holocaust averted his name in a book. Great Pesach read, great read at any time. Uh, check it out, everybody. The Alternate History of American jury, 1938 to 1967, five minutes before 8 o'clock. This is JM in the AM.